and welcome to the Ideologue podcast. I'm Ben Mack, digital editor of Ideologue. In this edition, we speak with James Herman about Toothcrush, the toothbrush delivery service. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. I mean, you've always got cool stuff going on with Previously, of course, and you've got really awesome stuff going on with Toothcrush, formerly known as Fresh Brush, which seems to have really been, from what I understand, taking off lately. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about sort of what you've been up to with Toothcrush and what it's all about and how things have been going. Yeah, great. Well, firstly, thanks for the opportunity to uh, to talk. It's um, yeah, it's been a really exciting last sixteen months with uh, with with Toothcrush, which um, is in a nutshell, it's a toothbrush subscription delivery service. We ship a bamboo handled, environmentally friendly, kind of better looking. Um, toothbrush to our subscribers in the mail um, every month or every other month, depending on their preference. Um, for uh, for forty dollars a year, if you get uh, a toothbrush every month, or twenty five dollars a year if you get a toothbrush every second month. So, um, so it's kind of, I guess you know, it's addressing the the that that thing that we all forget to to replace our toothbrush. Uh, as often as we should, and we often end up using a, a kind of a worn-out, kind of old bung toothbrush, which isn't doing our teeth any good. Um, so, you know, the fresher and newer your toothbrush, the better it is for your teeth. And so, so I guess we looked at at that kind of issue, and we did some research, and and you know, just about everyone forgets to replace their toothbrush at least some of the time. And we thought, well, you know, here's a solution. We can not only can we kind of attack that little problem in people's lives, but we can also solve it with a more environmentally friendly piece of hardware that isn't kind of uh, you know made from plastic and packaged in plastic. Um, and we can kind of design something that that doesn't kind of look like the ugliest thing in your bathroom. Um, and I think we you know we we've always looked at the toothbrush category and thought, man, it's you know, this, uh, the, the, the amount of thought people put into making their bathrooms beautiful these days and, and the amount of thought that hasn't been put into making a toothbrush beautiful, um, you know, there's a real opportunity there to do something that's aesthetically more pleasing as well. So so I guess that's that's kind of toothbrush in a, in a, toothbrush in a nutshell. Very cool. It definitely seems, on the surface at least, it seems like kind of a niche market to go into, but how has it been lately in terms of just subscriber numbers? I understand you've recently expanded, I think it's to Australia you've expanded to, and you're looking at expanding, I think it's to the United States, I understand? Yeah, that's right. We uh, Well, we moved into Australia in August last year, we launched an Aussie, um, and, uh, and and that's gone really well. Um, it's, it's interesting, it's a... Um, you know, in, in one sense, it might feel niche, but actually, when you think about it, toothbrushes are something that that literally just about everyone in the world uses every single day. So, you know, your, your addressable market for a toothbrush business is, is kind of everyone, right? It's a massive, massive, massive market. Um, there are very few other things that are used by literally everyone at least once, uh, hopefully twice, and sometimes three times a day. So, so this is a 
big market, I think. The first steps for the business, we're, we're at about 10,000 subscribers across Australia, Australia and New Zealand currently. Um, and and what we've sort of, what I guess we've elected to do over the, the last couple of months is take a, um, a much bigger, much more ambitious view of, of the opportunity for Toothbrush and um, and ask, you know, how can we globalize this brand very quickly, um, and how can we get into um, how can we get into a lot of different markets uh, within quite a short time frame, using what we've learned about the business over the last sixteen months, um, and, and taking those kind of learnings and those lessons and, and using those to scale very rapidly. So the first two markets that we'll go into. Uh, in the coming for a couple of months will be the UK and, and the Netherlands. And, um, and then pretty quickly after that, we'll, um, we'll look at um, the rest that are on a list that we've got of countries that have more English-speaking people in them than New Zealand. And there's about 40 countries on that list. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, the word speed doesn't even really cut it. It sounds like you're just scaling up at an incredibly fast rate. And has that created challenges in a way, or are there some learnings from the fact that you've been scaling up so fast? Well, i tell you what it's been. I mean, the, the, the whole sort of um, the philosophy around the business right from the start has been, you know, how do we move super quickly? So, so to give you an idea, back when we, when we very first had the idea, um, and the challenge to ourselves was how quickly can we go from, you know, from literally just an idea in our head a market launch um, with a product um, and a business that that you know is, is really looks a million dollars um, but how do we do that in record speed so we went from from literally from when we had the ideas and we've never thought about a toothbrush business at all before from when we had the idea to when we did our market launch on December the 7th 2016 in New Zealand it was 13 weeks so we built the whole business in 13 weeks the manufacturer partnerships the supply chain the brand, the marketing, kind of everything in 13 weeks and got that got that up to market. Um, and then within uh, about eight months, we were um, we were in Australia. Um, and so the kind of speed has been a real part of the brand right from the beginning. I think, you know, there's this, um, I saw this, um, this presentation not so long ago from um, a, a really great kind of innovative company in Australia and, and one of the slides just said speed is the new IP and I kind of really you know that really resonated with me I think there's you know in today's world if you can execute really well and really really quickly um, you have a massive competitive advantage over others so so yeah it's very much the intention to um, to kind of capture I think a window of opportunity that we've got with with this business um, and and really have have fun moving really really quickly and scaling really quickly, and sort of taking advantage of a business that is enormously scalable and and very very easy to take into new markets and market digitally, um, and um, and and sort of serve from a, a very low and very uh, and and kind of variable scalable cost base. Mm. And does that scaling up at such a speed does that create problems in terms of just simply having the power on the ground to be able to supply all those subscribers in terms of just having enough employees to fulfill orders and source with suppliers and all that kind of stuff? How do you manage those challenges? Yeah, 
um, it, it, to be honest, no, um, which is, is kind of pro- probably sounds surprising. I think we, um, you know, we have a really excellent male health partner here in New Zealand who, who we work with who, who are charged with uh, picking and packing and, and mailing out this, uh, the subscriptions once a month. Um, we have a, a really excellent manufacturer uh, in, um, in Ningbo in China um, who are, you know, uh, well beyond the sort of scale of our business. Um, and, uh, and so while sometimes it, it can get a little close to the bone in terms of, you know, brushes coming in on time and, you know, sometimes, um, uh, you know, we, we're learning about how far in advance we need to order things, for example. Um, but, um, but besides that, it's actually been, you know, quite intentionally built as a business that has, that has amazing simplicity, right? Very few moving parts, a very controllable kind of end-to-end supply chain. Um, and, and that was really kind of, I guess, what one of the things that attracted us to the idea of, of doing this in the first place was, you know, can we set up something that, that from the very beginning is very simple, very scalable, very controllable, um, so that we can move really quickly uh, without having so many of those sorts of scaling issues that more complex businesses tend to come across. Mm. You seem to have really tapped into a vein as well in terms of just the idea of getting something that shows up in your mailbox, whether it's every month or every other month. And if we look at other sort of subscription models in the past, I mean, you have Netflix, for example, with DVDs being sent out in the mail. People, of course, with, well, us at Idealog and magazine subscriptions, for example, when you get your magazines sent in the mail, people seem to love this idea of just getting stuff in the mail. And I'm just wondering, from your perspective, what's up with that? Yeah, it's very much a part of the human condition, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm 40 years old now, and still, every time I order something, you know, online, um, and, you know, it's something that's coming from, you know, a book that's coming from Fish Pond, or it's a thing that I found on eBay, or, or whatever, um, you know, every time, I can't wait for it to show up. And uh, and that there is there's just something in us that kind of, you know, I don't know, a package arriving in the mail is just such a, a, an amazingly exciting thing. And you see it in kids too, right? I mean, there's nothing more exciting for, for my kids who are seven and nine to have something with their name on it show up in, in the mail. Um, so maybe it's something that we just, we kind of hold on to from childhood when, when it's so special to be, you know, kind of important enough in the world to have, um, to have our name written on something and mailed to us. Um, we never seem to, that never seems to kind of get, uh, get old. And I think one of the things with, you know, that we, we really um, wanted to leverage with exactly the phenomenon that you're talking about um, was that, you know, toothbrushing is, it's pretty, um, it's pretty low interest for most people, I'd say. You know, the, your kind of engagement with your toothbrush and toothbrushing is, is probably not as high as your engagement with other areas of your life and and what the you know the the sort of the joy or the delight of a, a fresh toothbrush showing up in the mail each month that kind of reconnects you and re-engages you with something that you know in its in its own small way is a really important part of your health and kind of taking care of yourself so um so i think that the fact that you know we've engineered it so that it, each month you get a different bristle color so it's always a, a little surprise 
So when it shows up in the mail, it's not the same thing every month. It's always a little bit different. And so that's to really capitalize on this this kind of effect of people anticipating and looking forward to something showing up. Um, and for the kids, because we do we do um, brushes for the whole family, so we have a, a kid's brush, and, and again, they get different colored brushes. And, and for kids especially, you know, this thing showing up in the mail and, uh, and, 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 and sort of unwrapping that box and seeing what the colors are this month, you know, we've, the feedback that we have from our subscribers is that's just such a great way to engage kids with, you know, something that most of them don't really like doing, which is brushing their teeth. But, but with toothbrush, you know, there's, a, there's an aspect of kind of, you know, delight and, and joy and, and kind of fun to it that, that really helps parents kind of cut through the, you know, the, the kind of, you know, I don't know, the apathy around toothbrushing that kids inherently have. Mm. Well, speaking of the design aspect of things, you touched on how every month, for example, the brushes are a different color. One thing that really sticks out to me about Toothcrush is the fact that the simply the package that it comes in is oftentimes it's quite simplistic but very elegant packaging at the same time, and it's quite low waste. What was the design process and thinking around all of that? Yeah, I think um, you know probably you tell it from a couple of aspects with this. One, one obviously is cost. So when you're running this type of business where you're you're shipping very regularly a, uh, an item that you're trying to make as affordable as possible for people. Um, you know, you are looking at, you know, how do you, how do you create a piece of packaging that doesn't cost the earth? Um, but the other super important aspect um, is obviously that we, we provide packaging that is, uh, that is 100% kind of biodegradable, um, compostable packaging. So, so on the outer of the box, it's a very, very simple sheet of brown cardboard that can be recycled. Um, inside the box is a hygienic wrapper, which is made from a material called PLA, which is a plant-based plastic alternative that's a biodegradable, compostable plastic alternative um, material. Um, and so we really sort of started with how do we, A, make it as simple as possible, and B, how do we make it as environmentally friendly as possible, and then kind of C, how do we how do we put a wrap a bit of design around that that doesn't sort of get in the way of the experience, but but just kind of lifts the lifts the brand. But it's a you know again simplicity is such a, a critical factor in this business, and so so as with everything, you know the packaging it's it's aims it aims to be you know simple, elegant, but really simple. Mm. Well, you mentioned something a moment ago as well. I thought that was really interesting. You talked about biodegradable. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand one of the key features of a toothbrush brush is the fact that they are bio, like you can compost the actual brush as well, if I'm not mistaken. What's the importance around being able to do that? And what does that say about sustainability? Well, I think that, you know, every, pretty much every one of the billions of toothbrushes that's created every year and and discarded, you know, every every three months or so by consumers is made of 100% plastic. Uh, it's made of a non-recyclable plastic. It's made. It's a plastic stick that will never go away. You know, it will take, you know, hundreds of thousands of years for that thing to break down. Um, and and that's just crazy, frankly. When you can make a, you know, you don't need to make a toothbrush handle from plastic you can make it from all kinds of materials and one of the very best materials to make it with is bamboo because bamboo is just so unbelievably renewable 
also bamboo grows up to two feet a day. I mean, you can, you know, you can see bamboo growing. It's that, it grows that quickly. It's that renewable, it's that sustainable. And so the, um, the, that, that enables us to kind of make the majority of the brush out of a material that is completely natural and that is, you know, recyclable through nature's own recycling program, which is, which is composting and, and just breaking down naturally. And so, so we encourage subscribers to, um, to throw the handle away. One kind of fly in the ointment around the sustainability story is the bristles. So, so no one, um, no one has, has ever created a, uh, a, a kind of a, a compostable or biodegradable or renewable bristle that a dentist will say this is an appropriate thing or an effective thing to brush your teeth with. So the sort of options that you have, you can, there are brushes that are made with, um, with wild boar hair. Uh, wild boar hair, my goodness. <laughs> and, that, and that's kind of, that's natural, but it's not something that's effective and it's not something that most people want to put in their mouth. Um, all the other bristles are made from nylon. So nylon is a plastic material, it's an artificial, you know, it's a man-made material, it's not a biodegradable, compostable material. And and that's what we have, that's what we're stuck with at the moment in terms of, you know, what uh, what is available and effective um, to use as a, as a bristle material. So. This is something that we don't particularly like about um, about the situation that that we find ourselves in. That this is the only material that's available to us. So no, none of the you know the, the massive toothbrush companies in the world have found a, a different material to to use for toothbrush bristles. But it's one of the things that we're going to, as part of our kind of you know our, our next phase plan, what we're already starting to um, to to explore is how we do some material science, whether we can create a bristle um, material that is biodegradable um, or recyclable or compostable um, and how do we create something that is that is both those things and uh, effective for brushing your teeth. So so the kind of the, our dream would be the, the first toothbrush company to invent a new material that um, or, or use one of the existing kind of plastic alternative materials in a new way to create an effective toothbrush bristle. Um, and once we've done that, then I think we've, you know, we've, we've really nailed the kind of sustainability aspect of the brush. Um, but we've got a bit of a, a bit of a hill to climb on that, um, given that none of the sort of these companies that are a, a million times as large of us, as large as us, has, have managed to crack that. But we're going to give it a go all the same, and um, and and take a kind of New Zealand naivety and um, enthusiasm to that um, to that mission, and see what we can do. Preferably something other than wild boar. <laughs> yeah, I'd say we're definitely going to end up with something other than wild boar. That is. Yeah, when, when, I learned something new already just from that. My goodness. Well, you talked about sort of that idea of, as you called it, New Zealand naivete. But of course, New Zealand, we're famous for the number eight wire mentality and really giving things a go. And maybe a bit of a cliched question, but what does Tooth Crush and the Tooth Crush journey really say about innovation and trying out new things in Aotearoa, New Zealand? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I... You know, I'm obviously, you know, and I'm a New Zealander. Um, I love the fact that we have this um, this this view of the world that um, that that doesn't hold us back as much as some, you know, some other kind of cultures seem to have, um, and that we kind of give things a go. And so I think that's 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 very much inherent in, in this business. I think what we're learning in New Zealand is how to do that in a in a smarter and smarter way. So so I think we're number of I was about sort of. You know, just having a go and fixing something and, and, and 
doing it in a way that we'll just do kind of thing. Um, you know, what we're learning to do, I think, more and more in, in, in this country is apply that sort of, you know, have a go, do things quickly, you know, don't do things in a complicated way. Uh, but we're doing that in a, in a way that's sort of a little bit kind of smarter and sets us up for greater success, I think. So an example of that would be, you know, for us, it was kind of like, how do we get, how do we get this product to market in 13 weeks? So how do we do that kind of, let's run really fast and let's, let's kind of, you know, use that Kiwi naivety and ingenuity. But then how do we kind of take a, if we take a long view of the business, how do we use that, you know, getting out quickly and use that first year or year and a half nearly that we've had in market to, uh, to set ourselves up and to understand the, the right sorts of things that enable us then to go really, really fast globally. So, so you know, when we set out, um, we, we wanted to spend this first period understanding two critical things. One of the things was commercially, the fundamentals of this business, do they stack up? You know, do we have a, a viable business on our hands? At the start of this business and any business, um, you know, you do your kind of your your P&L, which is based on a whole bunch of assumptions about what things will cost and um, and, and, and and what you can sell them for, and um, and hopefully there's a margin at the end of that. And so we kind of we, we did that, um, and then we spent the first year kind of looking at you know does that hold true? Does do things really cost what we think they cost? Does it really cost as much to acquire a customer as we think it costs? And and so we've now we're now in a position where we know not only in our home market but we know going into an international market what our cost of acquisition is, what it costs to serve those customers, um, and so now we have a you know a, a, a P and L that's based on some really sound um, experience and. Uh, in our in our first two markets, and we can have a, a pretty strong degree of comfort around that we've got a business that is uh, sustainable, kind of commercially viable business. So that was kind of the first thing. The second thing was, do we have something that people actually, you know, subscribers actually value in their lives? Um, so it's one thing to kind of acquire a customer on a cool new kind of novel product like this. It's another thing a year down the track for those customers to still feel excited and enthusiastic about the product and feel that it has, you know, it has sufficient value and kind of meaning in their lives to, to remain a subscriber, right? So, so we, um, uh, a few weeks ago now, we did a, a big customer survey. Um, we went out and surveyed a thousand of our customers in New Zealand, Australia, um, really big, robust numbers. And we asked them, you know, what they, what they think about the service and what they think about the product. And, and importantly, whether they think they want to remain a subscriber of Toothbrush. Um, and it was just an, an amazing sort of exercise to go through because we got back sort of resoundingly high consumer satisfaction, customer satisfaction numbers around the product. People, um, people love that. Um, but when we asked them the question, you know, do you, do you think you'll remain a subscriber? And, um, and we said, do you, you know, do you think you'll just stay until your current year is up and then sort of see how you go? Or do you think that you'll remain a subscriber after uh, after your year is up? Or do you think you'll stay a subscriber of Toothbrush forever? And um, and what we got back was that a, a, small, a small minority say, I'm going to give it till the end of the year. By far, the, the vast majority say, I'm going to continue being a subscriber after my current year is up. And then 30% of people said, I'm going to be a Toothbrush subscriber forever. 
And so this, these are people who are saying, you know, I've got 40 years or 60 years of my life expectancy left and, and I'm not going to have another toothbrush. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a subscriber of yours for the rest of my life. Um, I mean, you think about that, that's kind of extraordinary and it's, it's, it's very, very powerful and sort of tells us we've got something here that is of, you know, of, of real value to most people and of kind of extraordinary value to, um, to, to quite a large amount of our, our customer base. So, so it's from that, it's kind of studying those things, the commercial aspect and the customer value aspect of the business over the first, um, the, the first year and sort of going out with that ingenuity and that kind of enthusiasm and that speed, but also sort of being careful to, to, to say, you know, have we really got something that's from a consumer and from a customer perspective is truly valuable um, and is going to sustain if we, if we grow this and we scale this up and we, we take it to the world. And so we've really kind of, we really feel um, at this point, you know, hugely encouraged that we've, we've answered those questions and, and now it's, it really time to kind of take this out and give it a, give it a, a, a kind of massive push both in New Zealand and uh, in many other countries around the world. Well, that sounds fantastic. And we've talked before, of course, about scaling up the business. And another thing about New Zealand that we hear all the time is that it's a great test bed for companies to try out new products and new ideas. And if it works in New Zealand, great, we can roll this out throughout the rest of the world. And that often applies to companies that may be an overseas-based company trying something out in New Zealand first. But looking at things, sort of the shoe on the other foot, being a New Zealand company, testing something in New Zealand first, and then expanding it overseas, how has that proved to be an advantage for Toothcrush? Well, certainly doing things in your own backyard is a lot easier, right? So, you know, just by, by dint of having your your own networks and, you know, you know people and you know who to call and what to do and, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for starting in a, in a in a place where you're sort of comfortable and well networked and you sort of understand the lay of the land. And so, I mean, I, I, I doubt that we could get to market in 13 weeks if we chose another market to, you know, if we chose the States to kind of launch the business in, in the first place. So I think there's, you know, that that part of it is true. I think I think also one of the things that's interesting, because I, I, I don't necessarily buy the argument that if it works in New Zealand, it'll work anywhere. I mean, I think we're very conscious of, you know, the fact that different cultures, even if they are the sort of the English-speaking ones that, that we're choosing to target um, first, um, first up, you know, there's still a, there's there's still real fundamental differences that you need to sort of tweak your proposition and your, your kind of marketing to achieve. Um, and so I think we're very open-minded to where it works and and where it doesn't, and we're going to apply the same sort of experimental kind of ethic to ensuring that we kind of test out global markets and understand whether it really clicks in those markets before we kind of invest much um, time and effort and money into into trying to scale up in those markets. One thing that we've found is, is quite interesting, if you compare New Zealand and Australia, so Australia is, is tougher, um, and I think, you know, uh, everyone I know who's taken a business to Australia has had that same experience, that it is tougher in Australia than it is in New Zealand. Um, we've found that too, but we've found it not not so tough to not make the business viable. Um, the business is very viable, but it has been, uh, you know, it, it costs more to acquire an Australian customer than it costs to acquire a New Zealand customer. Um, but interestingly, we're a lot more fussy. In New Zealand, people hold us to a really high standard. So 
whether it comes to the quality of the you know the brush and the bristles, the packaging, they they hold us to a higher standard in terms of the, the sort of physical quality, but they hold us to a much higher standard in terms of the environmental impact and the um, the kind of sustainability of what we're doing. So our New Zealand customers are very very kind of noisy and very you know they really tell us. Um, when when we're getting it wrong or what we need to improve on, and they're very loud and clear on that. Um, and one thing I think that's really useful about that is that you know it it really helps to be calibrated around customers who are going to tell you the hard stuff and who are going to be hard on you. Um, and and I think that will be in our favour when we kind of you know wade into new markets. Is is a being used to customers being you know being kind of being tough on us and telling us when we're not getting right, doing things right, and B, having done a lot of groundwork here to satisfy those tough customers, which means the product and the proposition and the packaging and all that kind of stuff going into those global markets has, has already kind of been put through the ringer, if you like. So we're, we're pretty confident on, on, on those quality aspects now. Well, very cool. Well, again, going back to the idea of the fact that you've scaled up so quickly, you had the idea... You had the business out there to market in just 13 weeks, yet at the same time, you've done research and you had 30% of respondents saying, this is something I want to stick with for the rest of my life, however long that might be. That being said, looking in the proverbial crystal ball, as it were, what does this business look like three years, five years from now, or is it really tough to say? Um, no, I think, I think we, we've got a really clear idea of what it looks like. Um, I think you know we we want to be a truly global brand for for a start. So by that I mean you know in in three years time even it's not a it's not a few select markets that we've sort of gone into. It is literally those kind of forty other countries that have higher English speaking populations than New Zealand does. It's being in all of them, um, and it's building a brand that represents the future of of kind of oral care brands. Um, and and that sort of brings together, I think, that very kind of modern um, sort of um, dual proposition of something that's that's better from both a kind of a you know look and feel and physical and, and effectiveness point of view, um, but also an ethical sort of social impact sustainable point of view too, um, and really kind of being able to do both of those things at once within a price point that that you know the mass market ordinary people can can achieve without kind of breaking the bank um, and so so I think we really want to be kind of we want to be a, a growing and well-known brand in in probably you know 42 countries around the world um, we want to be um, you know probably to be targeting you know a, a one to two percent share of uh, of of the um, the households of those countries, um, which is you know pretty aggressive when you get into some of those big markets. Um, but yeah, we want to be a you know a, tr- a truly kind of successful global brand um, that is changing the way that people think about their toothbrush um, from a environmental perspective, from a you know usage perspective, and and certainly from an aesthetic perspective. We want to kind of help beautify bathrooms all over the world. Fantastic. Well, of course us being ideologue and the fact that we're all about creative business and creative business advice and really just advice in general sometimes. What lessons have you learned from the toothbrush experience that other entrepreneurs could also learn from? 
yeah, it's a really interesting question, eh? Like, what do we, what have we learned, or what would we, yeah, what would we do differently, or what would we do the same? I think one of the things that has played out for us, um, you know, very much to our advantage, just going back to what I was saying earlier about the simplicity of the business, I think, I think one of the things, I mean, I, I'm sort of a, um, you know, I, I guess I'm someone who is, who likes to be really ambitious, but but I also like to be mindful of kind of biting off what I can chew. Um, and for for Annabelle, um, my wife, who who actually runs the business day to day, and and I, we, I think we really wanted to start something that was within our capability. Um, and by that I mean I think you know I think a, a lot of the time. Um, businesses are started that are that are really complex and really difficult and sort of re- require so many different moving parts to make a success of. And particularly when you're like we're not, you know, um, we we're not lifelong entrepreneurial people. We're both people that worked in kind of normal jobs before I started my company four years ago, and we started to crush sixteen months ago. But before that, we're not lifelong entrepreneurs, and so. We were really kind of conscious of the fact that we probably couldn't do, you know, the, the advanced startup, if you like. We wanted something that was really simple and was within our, our kind of ability to control. Um, and I think probably the advice that I'd, I'd give, particularly young or new entre- entrepreneurs, is, you know, pick something that you can have a lot of control over. Pick something that you've got a high chance of success with. Going into a very complex world, um, uh, a, a business that requires a, a, a great deal of funding before it starts making revenue, um, a business that relies on lots and lots of different parties agreeing on difficult things to agree on is is a really kind of dangerous place to get to um, and, and makes life very, very hard. Whereas kind of selecting a, an idea, going out with an idea, particularly if it's your uh, kind of first one that's it's really manageable, um, I think makes life a lot less stressful and enables you to kind of do a, a great job um, a lot more easily. And so that's probably, I guess, I don't know, looking at kind of other other startups and um, and and comparing ourselves to them a little bit and, and I guess what's been, what we've found kind of has been easier or um, more manageable. That would be the kind of key thing that sticks out. Fantastic. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add or talk about? Um, there is. Um, it would be really cool if you want to, um, like I'd love to be able to talk about how um, we're, we're actually looking, we're, we're going to go on, in a, on a um, kind of small five private fundraise. Um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the fact that we're going to take investments and if anyone out there is interested um, that they can get in touch. Would that be appropriate, Ben? Oh, by all means, go for it. Yeah, I don't know whether you want to, I don't know, whether you want to sort of pitch a question at me that kind of gets, um, that starts it off or you want me to... Yeah, we can, we can have a conversation about that. That sounds awesome. I understand that you're going to be launching a fundraise pretty soon. Like, what's the motivation behind that and why now for taking investment what are we hoping to get out of it sort of all those fun details around investments 
Yeah, so, I mean, up until now, the business has been um, entirely kind of bootstrapped um, by by my wife and I and um, and our our business previously unavailable and um, and so we've we've sort of managed the first 18 months without any kind of debt funding or, or investor funding. Um, now that we're kind of ready to to really push it out globally uh, and really scale out globally, we're we're going to go um, and and um, execute a small kind of private fundraising round, um, looking for investors and. Um, and that's an exciting journey uh, in itself, really, um, to find some some other people who are kind of passionate about this business and can see it's um, you know the, the the opportunity in front of it, who want to come on board. So um, so so we'll be looking to raise um, to to raise money to fund international marketing um, expansion, some some feet on the ground in those markets. And so, if anyone out there is kind of you know likes the story and and um, and and fancies owning a part of Toothbrush and its journey, then we'd love to hear from you. Sounds awesome. And where can we? Is that going to be a fundraise on, like a crowdfunding campaign, or is it just direct inquiries? How sort of what's the architecture looking like for that? Yeah, no, it's just it'll just be uh, just be directly. So we won't do a, a crowd raise on it. We'll be looking for probably. Uh, a small group of um, of investors, and so if you do have an inquiry, best is just to email hello at toothcrush.com and we will um, uh, we will start the conversation from there. Very cool. Well, that sounds awesome. Definitely sounds like some exciting things ahead, and already an exciting journey for Toothcrush. I'm still just shocked that you've been able to expand into so many markets and do so many things so quickly after really just starting this business, launching 16 months ago and, well, already. And just those subscriber numbers you talked about, those thousands upon thousands in so many markets already, that sounds awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak. I really appreciate that. Hey, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been really cool to chat. To hear more inspiring tales, be sure to check out Idealog on SoundCloud or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. Also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at idealog.co.nz.